1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey
2: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Well, I am back at the home studio today, Um, fresh off hunting down in Kentucky for the opener down there, which we always call it velvet season, but depending on the year um, some deer in and out of velvet at that time but my nephew alec was able to take a great first deer with his compound and my dad was also able to take a, a great hard horned buck um, with his mission crossbow so overall it was a great great opening weekend i unfortunately didn't get anything but that's hunting especially early season when you're hunting big deer um, i did want to get joey cheek on here today just to to talk about salt river how last season ended Um, obviously we can touch on that, that first hunt this year. It was, I mean, everything went, went great with that. And then, then what the rest of the season looks like, how are you doing today, Joey? Doing great. Perfect. Perfect. Well, give us, before I hop into kind of your history, how you got into the industry and everything, um, let's, it's fresh on the mind. So what was the recap
1: of opening week down there this year? So opening week. We, we didn't really know what to expect this year because in Kentucky, normally we can start baiting June 1st,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which gives us basically three full months of baiting if we, if we choose to. We usually don't start June 1st, but some places we do. We, we couldn't start this time until August 1st, which only gave us one month to pattern these big deer,
3: mm-hmm. which
1: I was a little hesitant didn't know how that would turn out. And just like I was telling some guys, we had lots of nice deer but we didn't have those jaw droppers like we had last year. Mm-hmm. So I was a little worried, but but I knew I knew we would have a good season, but I just didn't know that we were going to kill those giants. And we ended up killing one really, really good deer. It was a big, heavy deer that we actually had last year. He put on quite a, quite a few inches. And I, if I remember right, I believe he ended up coming in grossing at 178 and some change this year, which was a phenomenal deer. Um, big, big, heavy deer. Of course, we had the deer that Alec killed was a super, super nice deer. Yep. It was a funny story behind that, and you know the story, but we have the property Alec was hunting on. We have lots of properties in the area, and we have another farm That's, by the way, a crow flies, probably the two spots were probably half a mile apart. Mm -hmm. And I had someone hunting that deer, and he shows up over where Alec's hunting, and Alec kills him the first day, which is is kind of funny. You know, you don't really think those big deer are going to move that much this time of year until the rut but he sure did so we killed last year we for the for the velvet season we took 24 deer this time we took 22 but i will say that as a as a whole we killed more of those mid-range deer those Mm -hmm. 140s 150s than we did 125s 130s and i was really impressed with that so so overall it was it was a great season everybody left happy you know, even those, even the guys that were unable to harvest deer, just like you, they know hunting it's hunting, yep, and and it's uh, it can be tough. You know, we had we had southwest winds all all week, which for us is our predominant wind, it's mm-hmm. our, what we call killing wind. But we got we had a great wind, but it wasn't a strong wind. So when you don't have that strong wind, as you saw on Saturday, the wind kind of swirls on you, yeah, and, yep, and it can be as you might as
2: well have a bad win. Yep, exactly. And that's, um, I guess, let's, while we're on it, let's dig into what to, for people that haven't done it in early season, like this is, Kentucky always opens the first Saturday in September. So this year it was fairly uh-huh. early being the second. Um, what do guys need to plan? Like walk, walk everybody through what a normal day is during early season hunting in Kentucky.
1: So so a normal day in our early season is the guys in our camp generally they get up anywhere from you got your early risers up to those that sleep to mid morning. Mm-hmm. We we get up, we we eat lunch, breakfast, whatever those guys want to do. They shoot their bows out of the camp. I sit down every day and look at the wind, and we go through all of our spots that'll hunt that wind. And and I talk with my my two main guides, Trey and Austin. And we try to figure out the best spots we can put them in that day to harvest a big deer. About two o'clock, we start talking about where they're gonna go, get everybody assigned to their guide. About anywhere from three fifteen to three forty five, we start heading out to the hunting spots. A lot of your deer activity then is, you know, you're hunting the last forty five minutes of light mm-hmm. for the most part. Our our guys that's that's generally when, you know, my phone can be dead and then the last 30, 45 minutes of daylight, it's ding 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 ding.
2: Just starts, exploring. you know. We
1: we, I believe we harvested nine the first night, and we had taken up until the last thirty minutes. we only we only had one shot. Mm-hmm. So so they did. My phone just went crazy that last thirty minutes of light. But the thing about the thing about hunting early season is, and a lot of people could get discouraged by the temperature. From what i found doing this. It doesn't matter if it's seventy-five or hundred and five. Mm-hmm. We still have the same success. It's all about the wind, you know. If we can can get a good southwest wind, that that's that's the that's the big thing. Just just having a good wind. It doesn't matter how hot it is. They they still going to eat in well, that in that time frame.
2: What I've noticed actually down there is if you get a temperature drop, it almost slows things down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Like you know, there toward the end of the week we had. Uh, it started falling off a little bit, and even the last day, it dropped off quite a bit and was overcast, and those last two nights were our worst deer movement of the week.
2: To where just being, so, yeah. a, being a northern hunter, you're like, man, there's a cold front coming in. Things are going to get active <laughs> and moving, and down there, those deer are used to those warm temps, and that actually throws them throws them for a loop a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're used to it being 80 and 90 degrees for a month straight, and that's how they feed.
2: Yep, yep. Now, one so, thing, if everybody listening, about the early season hunt, it is warm. Right. It's it's extremely warm sitting in the stand. That's why the wind is so important. Like you can have ozones, You can try to do scent control. But when it's 90, 94 degrees, when you get in the stand, you're sweating like crazy. There's there's nothing you can do. That's why wind is so important down there, even more so than than any other time of the year. With. Uh, yeah, absolutely. With that, um, let's dig let's dig into your history. Like I know you've been the, the manager at Salt River here for the last couple of years. Um, when did, when did you start hunting?
1: So I started hunting as a kid. My dad growing up, he did not hunt. So I hunted with my buddies that I grew up with and they kind of got me into hunting. Their dad's all hunted. They kind of got me into hunting. And you know, I, that's what I tell, tell people nowadays. I'm like, when I, when I grew up hunting, hunting was different. I, of course I grew up here right in central Kentucky. And back then, if you saw a deer, it was, it was a big deal. Yep. So so I can remember, and I, and I tell these young guys all the time, I'm like, you know, there's one thing that's changed hunting to me more than anything, and that's trail cameras and baiting. Mm-hmm. Because back when I was growing up, we didn't have trail cameras and we couldn't bait. I went hunting absolutely every day that I could with the, I, I didn't know what was out there. I always had the anticipation that something was going to show up. And now we have all these trail cameras and I'm, and I am a prime suspect. We have all these trail cameras. Mm-hmm. And we bait, and you know, it's like, oh, I'm not getting a shooter. I'm not going to go hunting. Yep. You know, it's just it's a totally different ball game now than it was when I grew up. But yeah, I, when I graduated high school, I went to work for the Department of Fish and Wildlife here and worked for them for a couple years. I li- actually live trapped deer and helped restock Eastern Kentucky, um, which was a pretty cool job for a, a a guy right out of high school.
2: Oh, absolutely. That- so how would you li- how would you live trap them?
1: So, so, what we did, we had two ways. We had a, naturally, we had tranquilizer gun where we would we would tranquilize them yep. and, and then relocate them. But we also had a big drop net that was, it was a big square net that had uh, like four or six inch squares in it. And then when you set it up, it looked like a big tent and we would just feed underneath of it. Once we got a bunch of deer coming into it, it, it had some uh, blasting caps and a series of ropes. You just set the charge off and drop it right down on them uh-huh. and go in wrangle them out and put them in the truck and haul them off, but it was, I believe I'd, I helped at the end there, I think we did about six, six of the counties in East Kentucky that currently, that when we were doing it, they didn't, most of them didn't even have a season back mm-hmm. then, that was in the early 90s, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool job, and it really helped me learn a lot about deer and watch, watching them, and as far as how to pattern them, I probably learned more from that job than, than any, than anything else. As far as here at Salt River, I, I, I started helping about a year after George started Salt River. Okay. George and I have been friends since we were kids. So I started helping him about a year after and have helped him in in a lot of different capacities. And a lot of times when George was on the road traveling or whatever, then I would run things for him and I was at a stage in life where I owned my own business for twenty plus years mm-hmm. and I was ready to get out of that and george needs to become more involved in buck bourbon and someone needs to step in here and he asked me and i was like absolutely that sounds like what i need at this point in my life
2: so Mm -hmm. no it
1: all so that's where we are all works all works out great (laughs) oh yeah i'm never looking back it's it's i tell people now like i my wife and i were we were riding around at our at the seas property one day and i told her i said can you believe this is my office yeah you know, it doesn't get any better than this. And she said I'm envious because my office doesn't even have a window. Oh, so
2: Yeah. No, it's great <laughs> yeah. and everything everything yeah. I don't know if for anybody that's that's listening, um, I mean Joey's hit the ground running with with everything. We've had some great changes and so forth, but client success and, and repeat bookings and so forth, that's why it's so tough to to actually get an open spot to come into that velvet season. Um just great. I mean like I Yeah,
1: it's crazy. Yeah. Like we probably we probably have eighty five to ninety percent rebook.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just it's just crazy, and that's with that season. You know, when you move on to like gun season, I think gun hunters are a little different than bow hunters. We probably have I'm going to say maybe right at fifty percent rebook with our rifle hunters.
3: Mm-hmm. But what I
1: find with them is they want to like you know they want to hunt Kentucky, then they might want to go to Kansas. Yep. They might want to go. You know they they like to jump around.
2: Just bouncing around from state to state or, or, mm-hmm. and may yeah. come back. Yep, no, I'd, I'd agree that. Yeah. And the, the early season so unique because for whitetail, there's only a handful of states. So when when yeah. serious whitetail guys get at it and they're going to hunt three or four or, or even just one spot and then their home state, they want to hunt their home state when, I mean, most states open up October 1st and then, then you hunt the rut there. So it's so unique and so special to be open that early that it's it's starting their season early. Most of those guys in yeah, camp are hunting multiple, multiple areas throughout the year. Even if it's their state and neighboring state. That's but they like this one just because it's early.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's a handful of places where you could go early and kill a big velvet deer, or a velvet deer. But there's n- not any place that you could kill a quality of velvet no. deer. I don't think. And you know, it's 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 a factory. That's, I mean, that's all I can say. Kentucky's yeah. a factory for for these deer it's it's crazy and they just keep keep reproducing so it's it's a good thing
2: yeah big deer and to have such the success also there are a lot of these states that have that early season the success rates are so low in them that it's just just a tough hunt like you mentioned well you mentioned deer numbers too what what was the big change like? How how did it go from Kentucky? You were happy just to see a deer or a buck to to what it is now. I mean, I don't like. I always say Kentucky's a sleeper state, but I don't think it's a sleeper state anymore because everybody knows that it just produces big deer year after year.
1: I think people got so back in the early early to mid nineties, they they took a survey and they wanted to know if people wanted quantity or quality, and quality got chosen. That's when we went to be a one buck state, and from then on, it just Exploded. So, were you a two yeah. buck state before that? At one time, you could kill. It was really, really weird. When you bought your tags, you had to buy them one at a time. Uh-huh. And there for a few years, you could you could kill two bucks. You could kill one with a one with a bow and one with a gun. So it was it was really really weird. And once we went to just one buck, then I think it made people start thinking, okay, I have to be a whole lot more picky. Yep. And then it just exploded. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's, to think of what it is now to what it was 30 years ago is insane. So we've, I,
2: a lot of my guests are from Michigan that I have on here. And we talk about deer hunting in Michigan all the time. We're a two buck state. When you buy a tag here, they actually give you, you can buy the combo. They'll give you both buck tags, right? Um, Uh And you got to buy a doe tag at 20 bucks a piece. So, I mean, they're, the buck to doe ratio is way skewed, right? But it's the same thing, like. I hope eventually Michigan goes away from being a two-buck state to a one-buck state just because that, that mindset of, okay, I got two bucks, and maybe this first one I'm going to shoot, eh, maybe it's not the one I really want, but I've got two tags, so I'm going to get one, and then I'm going to hunt the second one a little bit longer. I know my mentality, if I only had one here, past year that I've shot, I probably wouldn't have knowing that I only have one. And again, now that trail cameras are everywhere, and I mean I've got a ton of them in all my spots here, um, I know what's out there. So it's like, well, I, I know this may not even be one of the top three deer that I have on camera, but, you know, because I, I got two, two tags, I'm going to take this one, and then I'm going to go continue to hunt, and I would take that away. Um, yeah. In my opinion is we need to make it easier to uh, get doe tags here. I mean, there's no reason that a doe tag costs 20 bucks when, when the ratio is so skewed. Um, what is it for yeah. a doe tag in Kentucky?
1: So when you buy your original license, your, your license actually comes with uh, an either sex deer, which you could kill a buck or a doe, and three doe tags ah. with your original license.
2: Yep, which makes so, a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you can buy, we have, our counties are zoned, so you can buy tags for zone one counties that for $15, it'll give you two doe tags. Yeah. So those in those zone one counties, you can shoot unlimited does as long as you have the tags for them. Yep. which those are our highly populated. They're either highly populated or our urban counties that have deer problems. You know, right along the edges of the cities.
2: They're right along the city, and there are too many yeah. car deer accidents and so forth. Yep. Yeah, what would you say? Like the areas to where Salt River goes. What's the buck to doe ratio? Like I know you guys do a, a, a ton of dough management throughout the year and especially at the end of the season which is great but what do you think the ratio is
1: man I would have to say it's 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 way out of whack
3: even,
2: yeah.
1: even as good as success we have you know I would I would wouldn't venture to say that it's one buck for 10 to 15 does. I mean it's crazy we have and, and that's really varies by farm but we have some farms that are we have one particular farm. It's about a 600 to 700 acre farm, and in our contract with the landowner, we have to take 40 does off of it. And it's it's just absolutely crazy that you can just set in one spot. It's all a lot of open farm, you know, crop land, uh-huh. and you can look in any direction and just see big herds of does. It's just way. But with with that being said, I think that affects drastically affects the quality of the bucks. I mean, they're competing for food, so that particular farm has some nice deer on it but then you take another farm for instance that's in a totally different county and when you set that farm you might not see as many deer as you're going to see on on the bigger farm but when you see bucks they're big yeah and we killed off of that farm last year we took two booners off of that farm but you don't you don't see the 40 50 deer you know you might see four or five deer tonight it's it's, it's different Big time. So and it that, kind of varies from both ends of the
2: spectrum. And those big old bucks, they don't want to be in groups of forty deer, fifty deer. No, no, they want to be secluded no. and by themselves. And the only time they make a mistake, usually a lot of times, is during the rut when they're when they're chasing for those couple of days
1: before they lock down again. Yeah, and I and I'll tell you a crazy story. in that, so just just to give a little background, Mark and I hunted far and close to each other. And a lot of times we hunted the same deer. Listen, I don't know. But if we had. We, a, I
2: don't know if we need to go over this story again.
1: I'm not going to go over the story. I'm just going to give you an example.
2: <laughs> so so, so we a... had
1: a particular deer that we were hunting, and he hated those. It's crazy mm-hmm. because he would feed in a spot, and as soon as a bunch of those started accumulating there, he would move. He hated them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those big bucks do not want to be around those early season. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exactly what you said. They they just don't want to be there.
3: Yeah.
2: Now, on, on the story, so anyway, it's followed the long over the last couple of years there was a deer called browse that i was that i had hunted for two years um and it turns out joey joey was able to take him uh, right after i went in there and hunted him actually um uh, which is a great deer and then uh, i don't know if joey did this on purpose or not but when we went down there early season this year um joey had browse uh mounted it on the wall right in the house where we were staying and i walked in instantly and i went oh Come on, there there's that that subtle just just a nice reminder sitting above the couch for me.
1: I was just trying to share him with you. That's <laughs> <all it was. laughs>
2: no, that was I mean, but deer like that. How long had you had him on camera? So I started getting him
1: when he was one thirty, and he jumped. He was a one thirty the year before you started hunting him, and you saw what he jumped to the second year. So he he jumped up into the the high sixty or the the, the mid sixties that second year. Easily, you know, from a one thirty. But he was eating. <laughs>
3: I
2: mean, he we all know what
1: he was eating. Yeah. He was eating the barrel proof, you know.
2: So. Yeah, just non non-stop kept bugs
1: off. Just,
2: yeah. When
1: we could, when we could put it out, it was there. So
2: yeah, yeah. but it's crazy to see. So where do you? I mean, because there's so many. Like I look at Bootleggers Ridge down there, and there must be like this time of year. If you check the cameras, it seems like there's probably thirty to forty different bucks. Now that's bucks from right a spike in a four point. So. Year and a half old deer, all the way up to six and a half year old deer that you see occasionally, but just the whole mix. Like there must be at least thirty different bucks down there. When can Kentucky, oh, easily. You, when do you see their biggest jump between between what year is it? Three and four normally. I think three and
1: four. Yeah, because there yeah,
2: was absolutely the last the last day that we hunted, we were hunting out of the box blind, and you could tell. Here's the year and a half old. Okay, here comes the two and a half year old, and here comes the three and a half year old. And the three and a half year old was 130 deer, right? But I'm looking at this deer, and you can tell the difference in the body size of how they work up. And I'm like, this deer is going to absolutely explode between three and four. Like, he's going to, like, this deer has the genes and the genetics, and he's got the food. He's going to go from a 130 deer to 150 in in just the flick of a finger, right? Like, that I can just imagine what that deer is going to be next year. Yeah, I think
1: so. Another big deer we have over there around bootleggers, he went from a one mid-140s to a 170 between yeah. his three and fours. I mean, just... So, yeah, he's just, exploded. Yeah.
2: And that's that's the biggest growth here, right? Then then that four to five, they're still putting on inches, but they don't do that massive...
3: Thing. Not that massive, Jim. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just... It's, and again, hunting Michigan, they're, I mean we just don't have old deer like that. If they, if we do have old deer, like one of our, one of our farms that, that I've hunted for, well, shoot, since I've been five out with my dad chasing around, but this year our probably oldest deer. It's weird. It's a four point with kickers all over the place. I think he's probably six and a half, but his, but his, his uh, antlers go up at least 20 inches. It's just a funky deer. He's never going to be anything. That's the oldest deer we have. We have on there just because of all the, the hunting pressure that, that, Truthfully we do and then our neighbors neighbors do. We just don't get the old deer like you do in Kentucky. Yeah, hunting is key. I know.
1: Every now and then we'll go into a farm and we'll lease it because our farms are kind of scattered out in a mm. few different counties here around us. And we'll go in and we'll look at a farm. And when you look at a farm, you walk it, you look at sign, and you're like, Okay, this is a great farm and then you lease it for a year and it's like, oh wow. You know, it's been hammered around here. And mm. then you have to decide, is this worth is this worth keeping? And trying to make it a good farm or is there too much pressure around here for us to grow big deer and and, you know you got to make that decision pretty quick or you're going to end up and you know for us it yes this is fun and we do it but it is a business and we we can't we can't hold on to a farm like that and pay money for it if it's never going to grow big deer exactly some of them are just like that there's just too much pressure
2: yeah too many too many neighbors that hunt or a group of people on the farm next to it that they're five or six guys and they're taking bucks every year and and again maybe not the biggest but but that's i mean that's hunting right like you look at across yeah. the board I think, just there's less and less hunting access for people so you see a lot of that going on
1: yeah if you can get a good set of neighbors that'll get in on the same management plan you can then then it's going to be special kind of like bootleggers and and the over the seas i mean yep. it's it's a special place because they're not shooting. Nobody's shooting little deer around it.
2: Exactly. Yep. No, and that just makes. I mean, you're going to get older deer, and then all of a sudden you get bigger deer, and it's what I think it's a compound effect. So once you get a few bigger deer, right? Because all the neighbors are getting the same big deer on camera, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, well, I know that big deer's there, and I've only got one tag. I'm going to go out there and just hunt, just hunt that deer. And you get them passing on those three and a half and some of the four and a half that haven't made the big jump and so forth. And now all of a sudden those deer are getting another year behind them. And and it's just this compound effect of, holy smokes, their 140s and 150s are the common ones. Well, we're not even trying to hunt those really. We're really going for the 160
1: plus deer. Yeah. 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 I think the jump on the two farms we own this next year is going to be insane. Yeah, I, I do. That's always. why when we were talking about shooting shooting limited numbers there the other day, I, this next jump's going to be insane. Yeah. It's just going to be crazy.
2: Well, if you just look at how many 140 and 150-inch deer are there, <laughs> yeah. and then you're like, okay, I mean, just imagine if half those deer make it and they jump up, you're going to be like,
1: holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be special As
2: all I can say. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Kentucky – has what I I want to say it's one of the longest hunting seasons so it starts the first Saturday in September when does it end I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are the best on the market if you want to sharpen your skills and ability make sure to check out their long range university from the rifle build to the perfect shot Gunworks is your partner in the pursuit of long range perfection 1000 yards out of the box WTA Tags is a full service licensing program available to today's sportsmen. Bottom line, they help hunters draw the very best limited entry big game tags. They offer professional consultation on where to apply and then properly complete and submit your applications to the states. TAGS has the easiest, most reliable, and most complete service to assist you in drawing that tag of a lifetime. For a free tags consultation, call one 800 755 eight two four seven or visit them online at worldwide trophyadventures.com slash tags. That's Worldwide TrophyAdventures.com slash T A G S. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could say that I sort of live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, you can use promo code MP Journey to get a free pair of socks when you order up a pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJOURNEY at MeindleUSA.com. Now back to The Journey Within.
1: So the archery season ends on Martin Luther King Day in January, on that Monday.
2: Okay. And it runs
1: continuous the whole time. You know, some states, the archery will go out and, you, and the rifle comes in, but ours yeah. runs the whole time. It just has a second weekend of October. It has a two-day youth season. Then the next weekend, the third weekend of October, has a two-day early muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. Then we come back and have our rifle season, which is always the second Saturday of September or of November, and it runs three weekends, but two full weeks. And then you come back and have second Saturday of December, we have a late muzzleloader that runs for nine days.
3: Mm-hmm. So those are
1: our our you know different seasons that archery runs the whole time through. So yes, it is. It is. We we don't we don't run hunts after that late muzzleloader, per se. We will if we get a big deer, then we will call someone mm-hmm. that has possibly hunted or told us they wanted to come back, and and we'll we'll put them on. We can we continue to feed. Yep. Just because we want the deer, we feed them through the winter. You know, as long as we can feed, we continue to feed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: As long as we're able to. So, but yeah, we primarily we stop hunting there and at the after the lake muzzle
2: so let's let's walk through the the hunt dates obviously do that first week of velvet and then a, then a second week um a few days later and then when the normal archery hunts would be september in that early october time period correct
1: yeah and then we run we run some rut hunts right there at The we got some pre-rut hunts that we run the third week of october that that right after that early muzzle muzzleloader uh-huh. and then we'll run just, but we run limited hunters leading into our gun season.
3: Yep. We'll run a
1: few that week before. And then, then our gun season comes in and we run, that's when we run our maximum number of hunters is the first weekend of rifle mm-hmm. and the velvet. Other than that, all of our groups, we stay pretty low. So yeah. never more than 10 hunters. On, on any other group mm-hmm. which we've got we're hunting over little over 10,000 acres yeah and the good thing about our 10,000 acres is it's not one continuous block you know we got 100 here 300 there 500 there so it's all scattered out so we've got that 500 plus all the land around it basically that we're pulling from so Yep. It, it tends to let us it makes our 10 our 10,000 acres a lot bigger than it really is
2: it seems like you're hunting a lot more correct yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yep no, I've uh, that early muzzleloader season. It's, it's always interesting, right? When you get a when you get a, a weapon, in today's muzzleloaders, you can shoot. I mean, you shoot a couple hundred yards with those things, pretty yeah. pretty darn easy. Um, there's always high success on on that early muzzleloader season. Um, yeah. Rifle season's kind of yeah. like rifle season everywhere, right? You got a rifle, and and that opening yeah. day. Yeah. always always crazy with what what's get shot and so forth just because it's the first day with with rifle season and just like anywhere there are a lot of hunters in the woods so you may you get a bunch of deer that you've never seen before because they got bumped off the neighbors or bumped from a couple miles away or or they were chasing the night before and got stuck somewhere that they weren't weren't used to and then a hunter bumped them and and always crazy that one but that late muzzle loader also um always such a good one right because it's starting to drop oh, yeah. starting to drop in temperatures and those deer are through the rut now and they're just they're trying to put weight on for winter
1: and what will happen with that late muzzleloader is, so I would say this is just a, a guess for me, but after rifle season ends, I bet seventy five percent of the people quit quit baiting because they just don't hunt. Yep. So we continue to bait. So you would be amazed the number of good deer we pick up going into that late muzzleloader. And if we've got the right temperature, as long as it's not hot. Now that's that is very temperature dependent. There,
3: mm-hmm. you know those deer and those
1: deer in September, they've got their light summer coat, and it doesn't matter. But you know the deer in December now, they've already got their winter coat, and if it gets gets warm, then they don't move. But if you've got decent temperatures, it's it's a it's a banger. You know we had uh, we killed some really big deer in that last year. Um, every year that we have. Good cool temperatures is usually a good late muzzleloader.
2: So on last year, I guess we probably should have talked about this earlier. How did last year um, finish up between all the different all the different seasons?
1: So last year for a whole, we ran our velvet season last year. We we killed twenty four deer for and and I can remember that one. But throughout the rest of the season, you know, we we were pretty steady. You know. When we got to, uh, I believe, the late muzzleloader, we still had good deer. Mm -hmm. I believe we only had seven hunters, and we killed, I think we killed six deer out of seven hunters, if I remember. But for the season, we ran 122 hunters and killed 88 big bucks out of 122 hunters, which is, to me, is a pretty, I don't know what the national average is, but I would have to think that's.
2: Right up there towards the top. Oh, that's, 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 yeah, that's way, it's way up towards the top, especially um, when you talk about the caliber of deer that, that you're killing all the way from the start of season till the end of season, right? Like that last muzzleloader season, there were 160 inch deer that were hitting the dirt. Yeah, we killed
1: 160 inch deer the last, the last muzzleloader.
2: Which is, I mean, just think about that all the way through the season and you still got 160 inch deer running around there. Oh, yeah, which is crazy. But then all of a sudden, like I, I tell everybody on archery whitetail hunts, a true success, like everybody says, well, it's 50% success. I'm like, not on big deer. It's not where you, no. where you go. No, it's like success on archery hunts on big deer is I wouldn't even say low 30s, like one out of three times that you go archery hunting that you get on a big deer is is a great, great trip to have a yeah. to have a bow in your hand. Um, for guys that hunt Kansas and Iowa and so forth, like, like you hear these, the well, Iowa's different, right? Cause they're so limited in tags and they're just bigger, bigger deer because of the, how they manage it. But like, if I look at Kentucky as a, as a whole, the average deer that shot and the success rate there, it's, that's what makes it like one of the best whitetail hunting States that there are to have a bow in your hand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, we only had one week out of the whole season last year that I that I felt like our kill numbers were down, and it was a the it was it was getting towards the end of October, and we had some really hot weather come in uh-huh.
3: and a full moon all
1: at the same time, oh, and yes. it it just we had everything stacked against us that week. We still killed a, you know we still scratched a few deer out, but it wasn't as as good as some of the other weeks.
2: No, and that's that's just a recipe for deer showing up in the middle of the night is what that is yeah exactly they're they're there, they're there, but they're not they're straight nocturnal at that point in time. yeah so you mentioned uh growing up, your parents didn't hunt. obviously, I know uh, with you growing up to hunt, you've got your son out at an early age and he seems to have the the addiction and and is full blown into the industry now it just like from a father's perspective, how is it watching what Garrett's done? um, at a pretty early age and, and just, uh, he definitely got bit by the hunting bug.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's amazing to me to see, cause I started taking him with me. I literally had him in the two man ladder stand when he was three mm. and I killed deer out of it with a bow while he was there. So he was, he had it figured out pretty quick, but the the biggest eye opener for me was, was a couple years ago when he set up, he totally went and gained his own permission did all of his feeding, and set all of his stand up, absolutely did everything for the hunt and killed a really nice deer. And it's one of those deer that's hanging in the lodge over there. It's a super super nice deer. That's when I knew, yep, he he can do it on his own. And so now he's full blown. You know, he's guiding duck hunts and he he's one of my best turkey guides here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's crazy. I mean, when we first, of course, he's been around George and I a lot growing up, so he took it all in. And a few years ago, it was like man, we'd like to use him guiding, but what's a client going to think when they've got a 15-year-old is, kid out there guiding them turkey hunting? But maybe, little did they know, that probably would have been one of their best options. Yep. So, yeah. So, right. yeah, now he's just full-blown. He's he's eat up with it.
2: So. And with uh, you, I know you've done a ton of waterfall hunting in the past. Uh-huh. Was that something that bitch you had an early age, or was it something that you got into? No,
1: no. Actually, I didn't get into waterfowl hunting until – I was probably around 20, 21 when I first got into waterfowl hunting. A buddy took me wood duck hunting down on the river, and we shot some wood ducks, and I was like, this is pretty cool. Uh And from then, I'd hunted a few farm ponds, and it still didn't, the bug didn't bite me until I was in Kansas bird hunting one year. We were in Great Bend, Kansas, and there's a big waterfowl area there, Cheyenne Bottoms. And... One day at daylight, we were driving through Great Bend and the sky was full of ducks and I thought, my goodness, that'd be something I could get into. And then Uh after that, we started just duck hunting more and more and hunted the Ohio River a lot and it got to where our kids were getting old enough to hunt and the Ohio River is so dangerous hunting. Mm -hmm. That's when we decided we were going to start leasing some stuff out west and man, we, we just kind of have just found a home down there in southeast Missouri on the Arkansas border. And we have a house down there, my buddies and I, that we keep year-round. And we bought some property and we lease some more. And we absolutely go every time we can. To tell you a funny story about Garrett, he was in college. He played lacrosse, had like 11 different offers to play at different schools, mm-hmm. chose the one closest to home only because they didn't have classes on Friday. And that was we left every Thursday night to go duck hunting in Southeast Missouri. And that was the whole reason they told him going into fall that he was going to have to practice mandatory practices all winter, Uh Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And he says, no,
2: that's, that's, uh, I played enough
1: lacrosse in my life and I'm chasing ducks. And he, he quit, quit lacrosse then. And then he went, uh, finished the semester out in school but then got the opportunity to uh, intern under Joel Strickland for mm. five months and learned a lot. He came back here, helped us, and now he's headed he's headed out to Oklahoma to do some guiding here at the end of this month. So and, yeah, that's how much he's eat up with waterfowl. So
2: oh, listen, the waterfall guys are a little. I mean, as you know, they're a little bit little bit crazier right they're they're finally getting <laughs> yeah. up at 2 30 in the morning just day after day after day like I was, I was that um the friday before season i was talking to garrett and he was talking about when he was down with joel and he got to set up on a on just a small creek right like a like a three and a yeah. half foot wide creek and he was he was just explaining how it wasn't about going out to get the limit but he shot three green heads off this creek that was three and a half feet wide like he, he yeah. got, he got ducks to come into to the little spread that he set up there. And I'm sitting there and I'm just shaking my head going, oh boy, he's definitely, he has got it. He is, he is yeah. going to be waterfall hunting as much as he possibly can throughout the season. But he's just a, he's a, he's a kid that when you're sitting there and talking with him and, and getting to share a blind with him, you're, you're going to really like your time together.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's fun to be around. So. Yeah. No, that's. Not I good. hate to lose him. I hate to lose him, but I know it's good opportunities for him. So, yep, yeah, no, he,
2: and where he's going out in Oklahoma, I've I've hunted there, and they're going to get in. I mean, they're going to get a bunch of cranes and, and I mean, the geese and and the ducks that they're going to get out there. Like Oklahoma is one of those hidden gems for waterfall hunting if you go with the go with the right people. And where he's working, he's definitely
1: going with the right people. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about him. So,
2: yeah, no, he'll he'll like yeah. it out there, but. Just be ready. He's gonna that waterfall season. If you start it at the at the beginning, you got to start up in Canada, and then you work all your all your way through, and he'll end up ending it in Mexico in March. So he'll just be waterfalling yeah. for about seven months a year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that would not bother him one bit.
2: No, no, oh, that's great. So this year, yeah. so first first week's over. Um, I mean, what's your what's your gut telling you the rest of the season is going to be like? I know we have got a ton of great deer still on camera and and. Kind of each each week kind of brings something new in too. But what? How do you think this the season's gonna gonna shape? Oh, you? I
1: think it's gonna be a great season. We've got so we put a little more effort in in food plots this year, just because we couldn't start baiting. And our fall food plots are phenomenal. We've got that bug bourbon brassica mix put yeah. out in a lot of places, mm-hmm. and it's it's insane. I mean, it just looks like lush green carpet. We've got tons of those out, and it's going to be good. We're going to pull. We're going to be killing our neighbors' deer between that and the bug barber we're feeding. We're we're gonna we're gonna pull some deer in here in the next next few weeks. Oh, that's it's awesome! It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good season, you know. So on the on will the- it will it be as as great as it was last year? I don't know. Last last year was a season for the seasons, but it's still going to be really good.
2: Yeah. So. When do you when do you plant your fall food plots down there, and what like? What's the rain situation there throughout the summer? Is it normally dry, or do you guys get pretty steady
1: rain? It can it can get dry, but we were so so lucky this year. Like everything lined up for us. We had our plan to put our put our food plots in the second week of August. Uh-huh. So we got our ground ready that first week. Had all of our ground ready. Went back. Some of them we drilled. We have no till drill. Some of them we drilled, and then I, I had one guy drilling and two guys broadcasting and colapacking,
3: uh-huh. and
1: so we were able to get them all out that second week, and we got so so lucky. We had one plot that we didn't get out back there at the back of the seas. and so when we did get time, we got it put out. And the day we got it put out, it rained that day and the next three. Oh, just perfect, just perfect <laughs> so, timing. It's like it's like somebody's watching over us. Thank you.
2: Yep. So, yeah, Now does yep. it normally like? I want to say of all the years I've been down there, early season in September, I think it's only rained on me one time. Is that is that last, early, early September last that, year when you didn't
1: come? We had some serious rain. Yeah. the first week you were you weren't able to come, but yeah, no, normally not. This last uh, Wednesday night, the last night of the hunt for that first group, it rained in some places and it rained. We got some rain that day, but it rained in the people in the in the southern side and the northern side of our farms. It did not rain up there. Okay, so. but yeah, normally it's pretty dry in September.
2: Dry and hot, dry and hot yeah. dry and hot with a chance of bugs
1: with a lot of chance of bugs yep
2: with a lot of chance and a of...
1: chance of big bucks
2: very high chance of big bucks, which makes the the hot and bugs worth it
1: yeah absolutely
2: well before we before we hop off here, we gotta talk about so on the on the cs property um there's a house that's on there. It predates the, the Civil War. That's where I stayed at, and it's, it's a housing option moving forward and also going to run some separate hunts off off that property. Uh, anybody that's listening that wants more information on that, reach out to Joey. Um, but pretty exciting this December. We're also opening it up, and we're going to have our, our first season of running bird hunts out of there. I just want to spend a spend a couple minutes and have you walk through what, what those are going to be like. I know I'm set to head down there. I want to say it's the 18th of December, um, kind of when we have our, our grand opening down there of getting them up and going.
1: Yeah. So so what they're going to be, they're going to be three-day bird hunts. And they are going to be, basically, they're, we're going to do about probably 99% quail just
3: mm-hmm. because
1: that's kind of, we don't have, pheasants here we do have a lot of a lot of quail you know there's actually a lot of uh, wild quail on that farm but it's naturally we're gonna we're gonna do some a couple different packages we're gonna do one package is gonna include basically 10 birds per person per day and then we're gonna have an unlimited number of birds per day package that that is just uh and I, i think we're gonna do uh if i can remember right the hunts are gonna be on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and leave Sunday morning. So, and then we're going to rest it all week, and then do just do that every week. So mm-hmm. you know, we're going to run a group of hunters at the end of the week each week. Your, uh, of course, the house it speaks for itself inside. It's going to be your accommodations are going to be five star. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a a cook there that is. uh I'm trying to get Peaches to cook, but I don't know if I can get it I can get that much time from him. He's he's our cook here at the yeah. camp and he's
2: just He's amazing. It's just it's amazing. That's yeah. all you can say is
1: amazing. Just so. amazing.
2: And he's a great guy. Everybody gets along with him too, just the stories yeah. and the life yeah. that he's that he's lived, right? He's just one of those yeah hunting hunting camp chefs. But not only that, I mean he's worked for oil companies and so forth, but just I mean the yeah. food. Like like I was trying to tell my wife about the the white enchiladas that he did and she's like yeah i'm talking crazy. about i'm like listen it's phenomenal
1: yeah it's crazy he's smoking a brisket right now so he's oh there you go it's like you you never know what pizza is going to cook but you can guarantee one thing it's going to be good
2: it's going to be good
1: yeah oh, yeah absolutely
2: but yeah but those
1: those bird hunts are uh we have excuse me we're going to run we're going to run on a couple different properties right there close and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something special. This even even the bird hunting end of it just just the experience mm-hmm. there. You know, because we're right here in Bourbon Country, and we're gonna we're gonna have some uh, you know people wanting to do bourbon tours and all that stuff. So it's it's gonna be special. Once we get good and established, it might it might take us a year or so to get our feet under you know get going, but it's it's gonna be special.
2: So. Yeah. And I just I love the house, right? So it's 1850s house. Obviously, we're we've remodeled it because I mean you can't have a house from 1850s, but it's that colonial look. It's the feel like you can tell being inside of it. Like yeah, it's been remodeled, but it still has the the chimney places in the rooms, right? Like it, it's yeah. it has that feel, and it's just like I love it. I love I love that feel. I love right there. I mean we're shoot a mile and a half from Four Roses Distillery which is right in the bourbon trail. So like you take a right or you take a left, you're not going to go very far before you hit the next distillery. Right. So the, the combo that you can do of this, of saying, okay, for three days, we're going to go and and we're going to hunt Thursday, but you know what? Thursday afternoon, we're going to go tour this distillery and this distillery. And then Saturday, we're going to hunt the morning and we're going to tour this distillery. And then whatever you want to do there, like there's so much to do in the area and you're going to have great bird hunting in the lodge and the
1: food is just going to be a great package yeah and actually we're going to put you know a skeet range out back maybe a five stand range or something out back to to shoot this it's just the, this property the amount of things we could do with it are just endless yeah i mean it's it's just there's just so beautiful and sets up so well
2: i i tell everybody there's only so many pieces of property like this left in the u.s that's yeah that's untouched without and I, I, there's no other way to without 250 houses on it right like you can you can look forward and if this piece of property would have sold to a developer it would have made an awesome place to have 200 houses but it never would it never would have came back if you would have put that many houses on it or, or even half that number of houses on it
1: yeah every time i see the landowner we bought that farm from they reiterate to me so many times they are so thankful that we bought that place and restored the house and what we did means so much to them Mm -hmm. that someone didn't come in there, buy it, develop it, tear the house down.
2: Yeah. I mean, just with the water that's on there and how the property lays, like you could, like, I I looked at it, you could very easily come in and develop that thing and it would just be gorgeous. Right. The location of it, the property it's right again, right next to four roses, like everything you would want in a piece of property to develop, that's it. But at the same time, it's just some amazing hunting hunting property
1: think about the golf think about the golf course you
2: could put up oh yeah i just know my dad told me probably because this is this is a property where dad and alec both shot their deer and dad told me um i don't know he probably told me three times this is the first one he sent me in a text but he's like i'm just back here and it's so peaceful i don't hear cars i don't hear buzzing i don't hear anything that you would get from houses it's just quiet and peaceful and for us coming from yeah. the north, it's got all the rock walls. Like, I, I can't even imagine how old those rock walls were that were put together by hand so many, so many years ago. And that history and culture, and, and you're just sitting there next to those and taking it all in.
1: And, and that's one thing we wanted when, you know, when we talked about buying it.
0: When we originally
1: looked at it, back there where your dad was hunting, there were some white poles out in the field. Mm-hmm. And Ryan asked, what are those? And... We're like, well that's that's gonna be the property line. He goes, What's gonna be on the other side of it? Well, they're gonna develop that for they're gonna sell it off in lots. And he shook his head, No. No, they're not. Yeah, going to expand to to the end of that. Yeah. So we and I think that made that's that was the best decision we made because it just kept that buffer against us. We don't have to listen to any of those houses. Yep. It's no. it's my wife my wife just loves it out there and we were over there one day, and she said, this is the kind of place we live. She said, do you hear that? And I was like, hear what? She goes, exactly.
2: Exactly. You can't hear anything. <laughs> Nothing. That's, that's that. That's where I live also. I'm a long way. Well, my dad's the closest person to me. But other than that, there's not many people around, and it's very odd. If I if I hear a noise, I know something's going on.
1: Yeah. There, if you hear somebody, they're coming up the driveway. Yeah, that's, pretty much. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pretty
3: much. Yep.
2: Nice. No, that's great. Walt. Joey, thanks for your time today. I know you've got to get running again. you got hunters to get out and so forth, but um, we'll have to, what I'd like to do is recap after the season's over, late December, early January, and just, just do a recap on how the season went, and we'll be into the birds by then and get a get an update of how that's going and more information for people on that when, when we're actually up and running and guys are looking to get in.
1: Yep, absolutely. That sounds wonderful.
2: Perfect. Well, tell everybody over there I said hi right. and tell Peaches I, I wish I was there to get into some of that brisket today.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Thanks, Mark. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your
3: journey.